great to see you. For the past five years, I have been engaged in a fair amount of reading and writing on leadership and management. What is a leader? What is a manager? Are they one and the same, or are they different, requiring different people to fulfill each action? Well, after five years of trying to sort through this, I think the answer to all of that is yes. Maybe? I have no idea. And I really don't. And it's interesting because the literature itself offers multiple options in answering that, as you can imagine. What I do know is that leadership and management, whether you see them as different or one and the same, they have a responsibility to cast a vision, to help people think about what possibly could be. James Kozis and Barry Posner are considered to be highly respected practitioners and scholars when it comes to the topic of leadership, and they had this to say about vision. Visions give focus to human energy. They set the agenda, giving direction and purpose. They enable each person connected with the work to see more clearly what's ahead of them and what the future will look like when everyone has added their piece. Shared visions keep everyone focused. And with this in mind, people can contribute to the whole efficiently and with confidence. Today is Vision Sunday here at Valley Point where the goal is to focus human energy, to focus and assemble our human energy around a God-given dream and God-directed actions. Today, I want to talk to you and share with you the vision of Valley Point Church. So if you are here for the very first time or you are new or new-ish to our church, I think this is a great Sunday for you because you will have the opportunity to hear about our dream of spiritually forming people into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's our dream and our desire, and you'll have the chance to hear about why we do that and how do we go about the process and your part to play in it. I hope that you are really energized by what you hear as you are thinking about, is this church for me or not? You'll have the chance to think through that on a deeper level. Many of you have heard this talk before, and you know all about what, why, how, and when, the life-saving station parable and the vision map. You could probably give this talk better than what I could ever think possibly I could because you know all of the content. I hope you are refreshed with what you hear, and I hope you are energized as we keep the vision and what we are doing and why we do that and how we do it and when we know we're winning as we keep all of that out in front of us. To do that, I have a verse to share from Galatians chapter 2, and we'll get to that in just a moment. I then have a parable or a story to share. 
So this is kind of a story sharing Sunday, and I think you'll enjoy it and you'll get the point of the parable. And then I want to get to our vision map. So a verse from Galatians chapter 2, the parable, a story, and then the vision map. Let's begin with a verse. With your Bible or your device, please join me in the New Testament book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians is found right after 2 Corinthians and right before Ephesians. This book was written by the Apostle Paul. And here's what he has to say in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me which is really an extraordinary thought. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. But I have to live, and that's what he says next. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's all say this together. Ready? My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I think there's two unique parts that we find here. The Apostle Paul is talking, and he begins just by observing my old self my old life, or the way I was before Christ. Once I came to him, once I trusted in him, that was crucified. Or I gave that to Jesus himself. My old life, the old way, the way I was before Christ, crucified with him. That's the first part of this. In the second part, the Apostle Paul is saying, now uniquely, Christ lives in me. He's not just out there or up there. He actually lives in me, and that came about as a result of Jesus, who loved me, this is what Paul is saying, and gave himself for me. So two really unique parts to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that speak into our vision as a church. My old life, the way I was before Christ, crucified. And I gave that to Jesus. And now, thanks be to God, Jesus lives in me. And he lives in me because he came for me and gave himself for me and for my salvation. So two parts of this, the old life crucified and now Jesus lives in me. Think about it this way. The old person, the before Christ life is crucified with Christ and Jesus is now the new principle in life. He's the new focus. I think this is so interesting because Paul recognized it was not in his own strength, it was not in his own ability, and it was not with his own intellect. And keep in mind, Paul was a brilliant scholar. But he's saying in this verse, it's not because of my intellectual prowess or 
because of my abilities or my strength that I am able to live the Christian life. Paul is saying, no, it's because Christ lives in me. (laughs) It's because he is in me. And because Jesus is in me, I can now look to him and he can help me live that out in front of others. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, makes me ask this question. What would it look like? Okay, just think about this with me for a moment. What would it look like if a growing number of valley pointers, if we lived out the words of Paul here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, if we said it, but also believed it to be true about me, my old life crucified with Christ. So I have this whole new path in front of me because Christ is with me and he gave himself for me. What if we lived out the words of the apostle Paul here? My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me So I live in this earthly body. I'm still here. I still have this decaying, broken body. And I live in it by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think if we were to live these words, what would happen is that God would use our community of faith in stunning ways. Like he used the Apostle Paul to be a life-saving station. I think that's what would happen. And it would be shocking and stunning, and our communities would change simply because there is a group of Jesus people apprenticing with him in our imperfect ways, saying, the old life crucified, but Christ now lives in me, and he loves me, and so I'll demonstrate that before others. I think it would be a shocking thing that would help us truly be a life-saving station. That brings us to the life-saving station parable. So I would encourage you, sit back and relax a little bit, okay? It's story time on Sunday morning here at Valley Point. Let me read this parable to you. On a dangerous seacoast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. You're hooked already, aren't you? I can see it. It was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and their money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were purchased and new crews were trained the little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station 
were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they did something about it. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were being shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now, most of the people drown. It's a sad story. It's a sad parable that doesn't really have a feel-good ending at all. But it proves a point. And the point is, remain true to your mission and don't let organizational drift come into play so that you cease being what you were created to be. And certainly this has applications for all kinds of organizations. We are using this parable as a way to say about our church, about this organization, about this faith community. Let's go back and remember. Let's review what is our purpose. What is our vision and mission as a church? And let's not drift in doing that so that we become just a comfortable club that avoids doing what God wants us to do, and that is to be a life-saving station. So today is a way to say, let's remember. Okay, church? Let's go back and review and think about what God wants for us. 
so that we don't drift in our mission as we do all kinds of different things. We want to stay true to what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be, and that is a life-saving station. So what does that look like here at Valley Point Church? Well, here's our big idea, and then eventually we'll get to the vision map and kind of think through this. Our big idea today is living the map, and we'll talk about the map in just a moment. Will help us step forward with God and others as we become a life saving station. Living the map, it just helps us step forward with God and others so that we can continue being this life saving station that God has called us to be, rescuing people and helping them look up and see Jesus. So we have talked about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We've read the parable. I now want to get into thinking about Valley Point's vision map. In your talk notes, you can see a visual of our map. And I would encourage you to take that out and look at that as we walk through this time. But really the purpose of that visual there is for you to have something to take with you because the church is here today, but the church also leaves And we move into our places of work and school where we play, where we socialize. And the vision map should be something that goes with us as we think about being fully formed into the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. So I want you to take this visual and may it be a good reminder of what God has called you to be outside of this building. So there are four critical questions of leadership and management. That is, what are you doing? Why do you do that? How do you accomplish that? And when do you know you are winning? What are the measurables so you know you are succeeding? I think every organization should be able to ask those questions and answer them. If they can't, they're going to experience drift of some kind. So we have taken these four critical questions, what, why, how, and when, and we have created a map or a vision for Valley Point Church that describes what we're supposed to be doing, how we can be a life-saving station as we live out the what, why, how, and when, and how we all have a part to play in this. So let's think through the critical questions. The first question is what? What are we doing, and this is our mission? We state it this way. We exist as a church to point people to real relationships and real significance. In other words, we want everyone who walks in the doors of this church or comes into contact with who we are to know they can have a real relationship with God the Father, that we can know him in a personal way, And as we have celebrated today and as we came to the Lord's table to remember, he sent his son into the world to pay the price for our sins and he rose again. And when we trust in him alone, we enter into this forever friendship with God and we begin this spiritual journey of being shaped into the image of Jesus, not just for me, but also for the sake of others. And we want everybody to know who comes to Valley Point, you can have a real and lasting friendship with God, and you can live the full life with him. And we invite people to trust. We also want people to have a real relationship with the people around them, our brothers and sisters in Christ who 
support us and love us and challenge us and hold us accountable. All of that is very important as we live the Jesus way. A real relationship with God and a real relationship with others. The second part of that is we have all been given one life. That's all we have. And we may have a short time or a long time, that is unknown, but we have been given one life and God wants us to do something significant with it. We believe based on what we see in scripture, you can do that in the church and outside the church. Everywhere we go, we should be on mission for Jesus, doing significant things and being a life-saving station, helping other people see the way of Jesus. So that is our what. We're here to point people to real relationships with God and with each other, and we've been given this one life. Let's do something significant with it so that other people see Jesus as well. The second question is why. Why do we do that? Well, it's because we value four things. And we refer to these as our four faith catalysts or our values. So we value truth. We are passionate about following Jesus. And if you spend any amount of time here at Valley Point, you will hear us talk about Jesus quite a bit. We want to be with Jesus. We want to do the things that he did. And we want to share that with others. We are passionate about truth and following the way of Jesus. We also value people because everyone matters to God. Every single person matters to God, whether we agree with them or not, whether they believe the same way we do or not. Every person is an image bearer of God himself and they have intrinsic value. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us. And certainly we struggle with this at times and we don't always get it right, but we value people because everyone matters to God. And so there's a seat for everyone here at Valley Point. We also value generosity and we state it this way. We intentionally use our time and resources to meet needs in our church and in our communities and around the world. And we are unafraid. We are just unafraid and unashamed to invite all people in our church to hold what they have with open hands and to purposely live off of less and not be trapped and formed by consumerism in the way of the world. But we intentionally hold it all with open hands and choose to live off of less so that we have something to share with God so that he can accomplish his purposes in our church and in our communities and around the world. And we say that and we invite people into that kind of life of living off of less so we have something to share with God because we value generosity. We also value our location, where we are here in this particular area. We state it this way, we love our neighbors and seek to be a joyous presence where we live, work, and play. You know, there are a lot of crabby Christians out there, a lot of people who follow the way of Jesus who look angry, and they're just not pleasant. And we don't want to be that way. And we struggle with that. I struggle with that at times because life is hard and we all experience the challenges of life. But perhaps the greatest thing we can do to be counter-formational, where we live, work, and play, 
is to have a joyous presence when things are going well and also a joyous presence that supersedes our circumstances when things are not going well. That just speaks to following the way of Jesus and how there is joy in him on good days and bad days and everywhere in between. So we love our location and our location is everywhere that God takes us. Wherever God takes you, where you live, work, and play, we want to be a joyous presence there. And perhaps that's one of the greatest ways that we can accomplish being a life-saving station by having this joyous presence. So that's our why. Why do we point people to real relationships and real significance? It's because of these faith catalysts, these values. The third question, how? How do we do this? And this is our strategy. How do we accomplish the what? Three words. You see these words on the front doors of our building every time you enter. We say it quite a bit, probably not enough. But the three words are worship, connect, and go. This is a spiritual formation pathway. And when you and I worship and add to that connecting and add to that going, I think we have an incredible opportunity to be a life-saving station. So worship and connecting and going, they all matter. So let's think about this worship. This is where I deepen my friendship with God. And we're doing that right now. Connect, this is where I deepen my friendship with others because I need other people next to me and with me. I can't live for Jesus completely on my own. I need other people. And then the word go, this is where I use the one life I have been given to make a difference where I live, work, and play. I really believe that spiritual formation, discipleship, if you like that word, whatever you like to use, spiritual formation, discipleship, living the way of Jesus, it all means being spiritually formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of others. That's what it is. I believe that happens when we worship and connect and go. So we're really excited about these three words and we pour all of our time and creativity and our budget into helping people worship, connect, and go because it is our pathway to being with Jesus, to being like him and doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. Recently, we kind of rethought this area and said, what would it look like if, if we only did some of these things? Because life is really busy, isn't it? And who has time, worship, connect and go? It's just too consuming. So maybe I'll just do a few of these pieces. And we thought about that and captured it this way. If we worship and connect without go, well, that can lead to deficient pietism that is tone deaf to suffering and yields little action on behalf of the hurting and the oppressed. And that's not a follower of Jesus. So we can be really good at worshiping. Two hands up, two hands out, you know, whatever you prefer. We can be really good at responding to God and his greatness. We can be really good at connecting with others. But if we don't go in some way, it's deficient pietism and could be tone deaf to the suffering of the people around us? What if we connect and go without worship? 
meaning I'm with other people and I'm out there pursuing justice for others, but, you know, who needs the worship component? Well, that can lead to shallow reverence, where responding to God's greatness with the church body is excluded and spiritual roots do not deepen. So we need this experience. What about go and worship without connecting with others? Well, I think that can lead to brassy arrogance that becomes critical without accountability and time with others who help us. So we really need all three of these things to be fully spiritually formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. So when worship, connect, and go come together, well, this leads to true kingdom discipleship allowing us to live out our salvation and develop a walk with God that can meet cultural needs. There's a lot of cultural needs that exist outside of this place. And I think often we wonder as followers of Jesus, how do we answer some of these things? How do we respond? It's complicated. So many things involve nuance and We're trying to be careful not to offend and hurt so that people can see Jesus. How do we actually respond to cultural needs? I think beyond finding the right answers, which may not be as important as we think, when we worship with the historic body of Christ and we're actively engaged in that discipline and we connect with others and we practice following the way of Jesus with other people around me, And when I'm going and I'm loving the communities around me and wherever God may take me, when I'm being a bright light outside of this place, I think that's the answer to cultural needs. Our life is the answer. Because to go back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, it's not me. It's not me. The old way, the old life, the before Christ's life, crucified with him when I trusted And now Christ lives in me. He lives in me and I have the chance to live this out in front of others as I worship, connect, and go. That's our how. That brings us to the final question of when. And these are our measurables. When do we know we're winning? When do we know we're succeeding? Because if I engage in this, if I give good time to this and maybe say no to other important things to worship, connect and go, I want to know I'm winning. I want to know I'm succeeding. I'm sure you feel the same way. So we go back to worship, connect and go, the spiritual formation pathway, and say it this way. We know we're winning when worship is a lifestyle, meaning I will regularly engage with the body of Christ to learn in community, respond to God's greatness, and become transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And whenever I find worship becoming a lifestyle for me when it's beyond the 60 minutes on Sunday and I find myself responding to the greatness of God on Monday through Saturday or practicing the discipline of being in his word and allowing that to shape me or I'm responding to the beauty of God in our world. Like, oh my goodness, we have a blue sky today and we haven't seen that for three weeks, I think. And Let's just respond to God and his greatness and the beauty of what he has given to us. Whenever we find ourselves worshiping in that way, when it becomes a lifestyle, we're winning. And that should be celebrated. 
We also know we're winning when connect is a priority, meaning I will regularly engage with the body of Christ outside of worship gatherings to learn about Jesus with others, practice disciplines together, and become deeply formed in order to live the way of Jesus fully. And when I find myself connecting with others, whether I'm volunteering or in a connection group or I'm just with others, perhaps talking about faith and issues of being with Jesus. Winning! It's great. Finally, we know we're winning when go is a passion, meaning I will choose to regularly serve people inside and outside the church. It's not just about what happens here in the church on a Sunday. It's also about what happens on Monday through Friday at work or at school. That's a go opportunity where we socialize, where we play. So I will choose to regularly serve people inside and outside the church to live the gospel and surprise and delight others through a passionate, outward-focused faith community that models the message of Jesus. And whenever go becomes a passion, and I find myself at work, at school, where I socialize, where I play, wherever, when I find myself surprising and delighting others with the truth of Jesus in some way, yes, I'm winning, and that should be celebrated. So winning looks like someone finding new hope through connecting. Like That's not a small thing. That's winning. I had someone email me recently, and they said the service was amazing. Thank you for reaching out. I'm new to this area and have only been living here for a little over a year. I've been visiting many churches, and Valley Point is it. I knew it as soon as I walked in the doors. I fasted for one week prior, and I've been allowing God to lead me, and he's led me here. And I kind of rolled my chair away from my computer when I read that and said, this is a person who's winning, connecting. Winning looks like people thirsting to discover the word of God. Someone else emailed me and said, thank you, I received the wonderful Fresh Start Packet. Fresh Start Packet is something that we mail to people when they indicate on their connection card, hey, I trusted in Jesus alone to save me, to rescue me. And we want to celebrate that. And so we reach out to people and we send them a whole packet that has a Bible in it and we encourage them, here's where to start reading. And the Bible is a great study Bible. It has different tools in it. We also talk about them being baptized at the right time and getting into a connection group. And so we mailed this fresh start packet to someone and they said, thank you. I look forward to reading through it. Like, oh my goodness, someone's gonna start reading the Bible. Maybe for the very first time or for the first time in a new way through the lens of being a Jesus person. They're winning. It's amazing. I also had somebody else say, happy Sunday. I wanted to send you an email to let you know that I was encouraged by today's message. I always love those. Because sometimes you want, do people actually listen? And I, you, I know you do. I know you do, but this was great. Like, I was listening. The Holy Spirit really personalized this message for me today, and I would like to tell you a little bit about it, and they did. And I rolled away from the computer and said, winning. This person's winning. 
Winning looks like a dear friend of mine and, and many of you, a person in this church who lost her husband a few years ago, who passed. And, and she walked through some of the darkest days of her life, as you can imagine, really dark days. And she resisted the urge to isolate and, and be alone, which is often what happens in these kinds of circumstances. She resisted that through careful therapy and coaching. And she was told, you keep pressing in. Be with your church family. Be with your groups. Be with your close friends. And she pursued that and found healing along the way. And this is a person who now leads our grief share ministry. And she's meeting with other people regularly who have walked through loss and is helping them in every possible way look up to Jesus in the middle of their grief. And I look at her and I see someone who's winning. She's winning. So many of you winning. As I look around the room and see your faces and know some of your stories, you're winning in different ways. And even if it seems like a really small thing, when worship is a lifestyle, when connect is a priority, and when go is a passion, when you see this, celebrate it, because you are winning. You're winning, and it's a great thing. I could go on and on about how I see people winning. My greatest hope, and I know this is true for many of you, is that we would win in this way and simply be, as a church, a life-saving station to the point where people would say, if our church wasn't here for some reason, if like it blew away and <laughs> we weren't meeting anymore, that somebody would say, hey, what happened to that church? Valley Point Church, peculiar people there. Close to the flame of God's heart, passion, and love, and our community was better because of them. I want to invite everyone into that journey, to being that kind of faith community that people look at and recognize that it's needed and whether they're here or not, that they just know God is doing something in that place. And when that happens, when we live this way, Galatians 2.20, old life crucified, Jesus is with me so I can live him out and be spiritually formed for the sake of others. We will be a life-saving station. So church, let's raise the bar on what it means to follow Jesus and be a life-saving station for the sake of others. Two takeaways quickly.